Indiana Bible College is committed to training tomorrow's apostolic leaders today. And this is the Indiana Bible College podcast. Today on the podcast, we have a guest speaker who is no stranger to our college, but does not always make it onto the podcast, Dr. Lyndall Anderson. Today, he is bringing a lesson from Music Fest entitled The Heart of an Artist. We're very excited to bring this session to you. He taught this at Music Fest along with what seemed like hundreds of other sessions, everything from worship leading to leadership principles to marketing and promotions. There were so many different sessions. And if you want to hear all of those, you can still purchase that by going to ibcmusicfest.com. That's ibcmusicfest.com. And there's information about all of the sessions as well as concerts and new songs you can use, 25 new songs to use at your church. If that's something that you want to check out, it is available on Dropcard. You can get that download quickly. I also want to preview, we have a very special episode coming up, which is a Mars Hill, so many have heard of the Mars Hill podcast, a Mars Hill discussion panel with a number of of our staff members. That's coming soon on the podcast. Right now, Dr. Lyndall Anderson, the heart of an artist. Where's everybody from? Is anybody from Indiana? How about Illinois? Any Illinoisans? Missouri? Where else? Alabama. Michigan. Alabama. Arizona. All right, you get the prize so far. Anybody further than Arizona? Washington. I think that might be. Where else? Virginia. Virginia. Awesome. Kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, our classes at IBC. We have students who come from all over the country and uh, come together to study at IBC and I think it's a really a neat thing because you'll have somebody from a small town in Arkansas and then you'll have somebody from Chicago and, uh, you know, somebody from Arizona and uh, somebody from New York City. And uh, we'll all come together. Everybody brings their uh, a variety of uh, things together and... Uh, it's, it's, it reminds me of, of uh, if you study music history, it reminds me of the time in music history, like in Florence, Italy, was there would be like this mega center where uh, musicians would all kind of gather together there. And uh, to me, I feel IBC is a little bit of that because we have so many talented students and they learn a lot in the classroom. We have wonderful instructors, but they really learn a lot from each other. And I learn from them every year. And uh, so it's, uh, it's a, a great thing. So while you're here, I hope you get a chance to talk to each other and meet each other and learn from each other while you're here. It's, only, it's a short time, but uh, I think that you can do that. My subject today is the heart of the artist. The 
textbook that I get a lot of my material from for that is The Heart of the Artist, and it's by Rory Noland. Um, he does have, just recently, a new, uh, what do you call it, second edition. And I've compared them uh, basically, and he even admits that he was, when he went through uh, and updated, that he felt like he's become less wordy <laughs> uh, as he's aged. And so he uh, felt, and obviously there were a few things that needed updating as well. But uh, So anyway, I highly recommend it. I, I recommend that you get this. And this is a great book uh, because it is wonderful for uh, team leadership. Uh, most of us don't do what we do by ourselves when we have people around us. And sometimes the dynamic of working in a team, as wonderful as it can be, can also be a challenge. And so it's a very practical book about uh, some of those things. And I'm going to touch on just a little bit of the uh, subjects that he writes about. But what I would recommend is that maybe for Christmas one year, uh, the worship ministry gives, for a Christmas gift, you give your people this book. And then the next uh, year, starting in January, maybe have like a, uh, once a month meeting, kind of like a small group kind of meeting, and uh, you start going through the book together. And uh, there's some really great principles uh, for dealing with people, for leading people, dealing with criticism, just very practical kind of things. So we'll get started here. Uh, first of all, we're going to talk about those artsy types. And uh, no artist is normal. If they were, they wouldn't be an artist. Now, this is a quote from Irving Stone. I don't know Brother Stone, but anyway, uh, if they were, they wouldn't be an artist. Normal people don't create works of art. They eat, sleep, hold down routine jobs, and then they die. That's kind of harsh. Uh, you are hypersensitive to life if you're an artsy person and nature. That's why you're able to interpret for the rest of us. One pastor said, I just leave those artsy types alone. They are off in their own little world anyway. So what do we mean by artsy types? We're going to look at that and try to define it a little bit. And uh, do you think you might be one? <laughs> all right. All of us probably have a certain measure. If you're a creative, you have a certain measure of that. If you love music, drama, art, photography, sound, lighting, or if you love doing artistic things like singing and playing and performing and writing and creating, chances are you have some kind of artistic streak, large or small, or somewhere in between. Now, unfortunately for us, because of some that have gone before us, 
There are certain negative stereotypes that can be attached to the artistic temperament. And uh, some people say that we're temperamental. My lord. It's no fun to be said you're temperamental, is it? Or eccentric. <laughs> uh, some people think we're difficult and strange. <laughs> well, whatever you think. <laughs> some people might say we're moody, oh my lord, and emotionally unstable. Others see us as free-spirited, quirky, and undisciplined. Excuses are usually made for shortcomings of the artistic temperament, but I put in bold this next part. The problem occurs when we artists buy into those excuses and use them to justify unacceptable behavior. God made us. He knows who we are. And I think he likes artistic people. He had several of our key people in the scripture are very artistic. So I think he likes artistic people. But the problem occurs when we buy into the excuses and use them to justify unacceptable behavior. The negative stereotypes, stereotypes are unfair because not all people with artistic gifts fit the mold. I remember my wife saying to me, uh, not too long after we were married, and she was saying, oh, Lord, he's just a musician. Not talking about me, about somebody else. He's just a musician. She said, I'm so glad you're not like all those kind of people like that. And I think what she was saying is that I had, was a, a little more disciplined than some uh, uh, people who are artistic and who are musicians and, you know, all they want to do is just sit at a piano and play all day. I've heard her say something like that. And so I probably should do that more. Maybe I would play the piano better if I did that. Um. But I believe God has redeemed the artistic temperament. If you're in Christ, you're a new creature. In Christ, there is a thing known as being transformed, well-adjusted, or spirit-filled. Artists can be those things. God doesn't look at us as those strange, artsy types. After all, he made us. He loves and he understands us. Isn't that comforting to know sometimes, to know that God made us, so he, he loves us and he understands us. I think that's easy. We didn't necessarily make uh, our children. But, uh, kind of, I mean, I don't want to go into all that. Let's, <laughs> that's the rabbit hole I don't want to go down. <laughs> we had something to do with it, but we didn't make them. <laughs> But any of you that are parents in this room, you know that how much you love your children and you look past, you know, their mistakes and sometimes to a fault. And, and God loves us. He made us. We are his children. King David was an artist who looked at the evening sky and wrote this. This is one of my favorite scriptures. 
He said, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? How does a God so big and so vast love me? I have a a little bit of homework for you. Jot this down in your notes there. I want you to go, some of you may have already seen this, I want you to go to YouTube. There's a YouTube video. It's Merle Ewing. The title of the song is He Saw Me. He Saw Me. He's actually at a Gaither recording when he sings that. I want you to be alone when you watch it, and I want you to listen to every word. Anytime I've listened to it several times, I can never watch that song and hear those words without getting a tear in my eye. God saw me. And uh, he. I think that the song is probably a takeaway from that scripture in Psalms in 8, 3, and 4. What is man that he's mindful of me? Now, artists respond differently to things than normal non-artists do. For one thing, we tend to be more sensitive. (laughs) I've already teared up at least once here today, so... (laughs) Uh, And that's okay. That's how God made us. Sensitive people have a lot of heart. We might see things differently, but we feel deeply. Let's examine briefly what the Bible has to say about the arts and artists. The Bible contains poetry that is written with a great deal of sophistication and skill. Drama is mentioned in the Bible. Visual arts played a major role in building the tabernacle. Music is mentioned quite often in the Bible. Singing was a big part of Hebrew culture. The book of Psalms is actually a hymn book, and it continuously exhorts us to sing to the Lord. Even Jesus sang a hymn. As you look through the pages of the book of Revelation, it's obvious that we're going to be doing A lot of singing in heaven. Now, God is calling artists to use their gifts for him. He's calling us to play a major role in the church. It is such a high calling. I want to kind of just camp out here for just a minute. Sometimes I think people who are called to worship ministry almost get treated like the stepchild. And I want you to know that your ministry in leading people into the throne room of God, into the presence of God, is a high calling. It is not something that you should ever Take lightly. What a privilege 
Everybody say, what a privilege. Oh, may we be found trustworthy. There's a, a uh, quote from Dr. Wheatlet that I use in my doctoral thesis uh, that says we have the terrible and important task of placing words of worship on people's lips. Every song that you select, every song you write, every song your worship team leads, every song you project, if you're in media, whatever your role is in worship ministry, you are placing words of worship on their lips. It's a high calling. It's not like me to do this very often, but I feel like we should just take a break a minute and just thank the Lord for that. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We don't take it lightly, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We want to be used by you, Jesus. We want to be found trustworthy, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you that you smiled on me enough. You trusted me enough. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Does anybody have a Kleenex close by? <laughs> wow. Uh, my old eyes are bad enough as it is to try to read with uh, like this those of you who don't know me in late 2013 and into 14 I became very sick and uh, was in the hospital in and out for 80 days in 2014 and uh God has given me a number of years since that time, and I'm very grateful, very thankful. I'm a miracle. You're, you're looking at a miracle. So it's time that we become just as serious about godly character as we are about our craft or our art. Our character is church artists, our walk with Christ our spiritual growth are all a vital part of worship ministry leadership in which God unleashes the power of the Holy Spirit. We need artists in the church that are known not only for their talent, but for their walk with Christ. That'd be a good tweet for you there. <laughs> Or maybe underline it. We need artists in the church that are known not only for their talent, but also for their walk with Christ. People sometimes ask if I would rather have a highly talented musician who isn't very spiritual 
or a deeply spiritual musician who isn't very talented. I've been asked that before. I've heard people say, it don't matter if you can play a note, you know, and they, they, uh, you know, you just, and, uh, and I'm saying, I'm, I'm wanting to say to them, listen to me. It does matter if you can play a note. And you can do that note and you can play it well and you can still be spiritual. You don't have to choose. You can do both. There's no reason to say that, you know, I'd rather have somebody that can't even keep a beat on the drums. Well, God bless you if that's the way you feel. (laughs) But I would like to say that I'd like to have a drummer that can keep a beat and he loves the Lord. Isn't it wonderful when you see a drummer every now and then raise their hands and worship in that drum cage when they're not playing? You can have both. There's no reason to choose one or the other. We make excuses sometimes for musicians, and we should encourage our musicians to say, just because you're a good drummer doesn't mean you can't be a Christian. You can be a Christian and be a musician. So it's our character. My answer is I want both. You do not have to choose. I want artists who are highly talented and deeply spiritual. It is imperative that you and I continue to grow spiritually and artistically. Now, a big soapbox for me as an educator is I never want to stop learning. I'm going to be presenting my new idea of something I learned tomorrow in the new ideas class. And for some of you, it may not be that new, but for me, it's something new that I just learned recently. And I got so excited because I learned something new. Uh, When I came here to Indiana Bible College a few years after I'd been here, I went to uh, UND and found me a piano instructor and took piano lessons from them. I get, I watch YouTube videos and learn uh, from that. I never want to feel like I've arrived and that I know it all. If I get to that point, I'm unteachable. And I also believe I'm not going to be able to be used by God as I should be able to. But not only artistically, I've been in, in the way as we sometimes say, I've been in this holy way for a long time. Sometimes we need to get out of the way. Um, I hope that's not a message to me that the Lord just put in my heart. <laughs> uh, but I've been a, a Christian and, and uh, received the Holy Ghost when I was five years old. But for me to feel like I know it all and that it, it's there's no chance for me to learn uh spiritually and and uh, the word of God. One of the things I appreciated so much about Pastor Carson when he first came here, as most of you know, we have a new pastor, and after a number of years, the iconic uh, Reverend Paul Mooney uh, retires, and then we have a pastoral change. And uh, one of the things I appreciated so much about Pastor Carson uh, was that it felt like almost every sermon was a Bible study. And I, he was calling out people I didn't even know were in the Bible. And I was just eating it up. I loved it. And so we should never feel that we've arrived either 
either place. We must, spiritually and artistically, we must continue to grow. <clears throat> Paul says that our lives should demonstrate love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and has an authentic relationship with the Lord. A scripture that always gives me a real hard time is found in Amos chapter 5. The Lord is fed up with the hypocrisy of his people and especially their music. And he says, away with the noise of your songs. As a musician or singer, I think one of the biggest slap on the faces, oh, I, 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 I'm, a Hollywood scene just came to mind this week. Uh, <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. Uh, it came on the news. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, my Lord. <laughs> it's always dangerous when I go off script. <laughs> uh, getting worse. Uh, but anyway... I think one of the biggest uh, slap on the faces from God would be for them to say, what you are producing is just noise in my ear. As a musician, that's, that's, that would be hard to take. And for the Lord to say that, I away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Now, we aren't perfect, none of us. It just means we're real. It means that we're honest with our imperfections and struggles. We don't gloss over them and put on a happy Christian face to cover up our pain. The non-Christian, I like this statement. It's another one you can line. Almost anybody, even Christians and non-Christians, can detect when we are not being authentic or when we are being inauthentic. Being authentic includes being real with our struggles and shortcomings. So I know you've seen people lead worship before or sing a song and you felt like, oh my Lord, if they'd just sing and quit trying to put on a show and, you know, whatever. Uh, for us, uh, it's important. Sometimes I think in a case like that, sometimes they're trying to maybe overcompensate for something and perhaps it could be sin, perhaps it could be some other area. <clears throat> Integrity is simply doing what is right in God's eyes. Character is becoming who God made us to be and integrity is doing what God wants us to do. Even if it's difficult, even if it jeopardizes our careers, even if no one else is doing it, we need to do what is right. And this is my statement. I've said this for years, and I found out a few years ago that Dr. Martin Luther King said something like this. So I probably had heard it somewhere along the way, but this is my statement, and I usually say it something like this. It's always right to do right. <laughs> my Arkansas uh, accent comes out when I say it. It's always right to do right. And uh, 
I've told my students that for years. People of integrity want to conduct themselves honorably in all things. People of integrity try to be good examples in all things. People of integrity want to honor and please God above all else. Our thoughts, our words, our deeds must reflect a desire to do what's right in the eyes of God. Let's go down to the last paragraph on that page where it says, the qualifications for elders. You see, we we put a lot of, uh, we hold our pastor and those in pastoral leadership to a high standard. Well, we should as as well. The qualification should apply to us as well. It can be applied to all leaders in the church. That includes artists. We're to be above reproach. Loyal to our spouses, not self-willed or quick-tempered, temperate, prudent, respectful, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to anything, not pugnacious, but gentle, uncontentious, free of the love of money, able to manage our households well, and we must have a good reputation Our reputation is so important with those outside of the church. I hope you get a chance to meet my wife, Christy. Uh, She's working today. We own an event center, which we're selling at the end of June, and someone's buying it in downtown Indianapolis, and she's going to run it. Uh, So she'll still be working, but I think it's going to be a really good thing for us and for her. But... uh, She's working today, but she'll be here tonight, Lord willing. I hope you get a chance to meet her because she's the kind of person that if she goes to pick up the dry cleaning, they go, hey, Christy, let me get your stuff. Or if if she goes, uh, you know, where where else do you go, you know, like that, to get her nails did or something, you know, they're like, hey, Christy, they love for her to come. She lights up a room. And it, the reason is because she's kind and she, she treats people with respect. Shouldn't all Christians be that way? I mean, really, that's what we should do. Our reputation is important. Let's go to testing brings growth. When you're in ministry, your character will be tested as it's never been tested before. Your character will be challenged and stretched to the limit. Can I get an amen? (laughs) I'm not, I'm preaching to the choir there, right? (laughs) Uh, Let God have his way with you. Even when the going gets tough, what do we do? We grow. Use it as a, instead of a problem, use it as a possibility and grow. On many occasions, there's been a problem in my ministry and the problem was, me. I've known people that have jumped from one ministry place to another, and I, I, would know, I knew them at, at one place, and they would tell me the issues they were having there, and I would try to console them and say, oh, I'm so sorry, you know, I can't believe they're doing that to you, and whatever. <laughs> and then they go somewhere else, and in a little bit, it's the same problems again. And eventually, after maybe another time, I want to say, 
Have you ever thought that some of those problems might not just be them, that you might be the reason for some of those problems? So, uh, so perhaps it's your stubbornness, my immaturity, my self-centeredness, my defensiveness, my being overly sensitive, my anger and resentment, my jealousy and envy, basically my lack of character. I don't know about you, when I read that list, I was like, oh me, oh me, oh me. It was like every one of those hit me. The first one was stubbornness. I'll never forget. It, it, it uh, uh, really shocked me and made me really do a lot of self-searching. And uh, one of the early years after we moved here, this is our 27th year in Indianapolis. And after we moved here, my wife was working in the front office here at Calvary. And uh, I remember her coming home and telling me about a conversation she had with Pastor Mooney. And he said, uh, you know, that that Anderson, he's he's kind of quiet. And, uh, you know, he's, he's nice and all, but that man's got a stubborn streak. <laughs> and I was like, well, I guess I do. You know, <laughs> Maybe I am a little stubborn. And... Uh, so uh, I could probably find myself in, in all of these things. We have, it's all things we have to work on. Our character gets tested when we're asked to play a behind-the-scenes role instead of a more prominent role we want to play. Oh, my. As leaders, we fully understand that when we're dealing with people because oftentimes they want the solo, but they don't want the chance to sing in the worship choir and not have, hold a microphone in their hand. And uh, so anyway, you understand, I'm sure. Our character gets tested when we receive constructive criticism. Our character gets tested every time our feelings get hurt. Anybody ever had your feelings hurt? Yes. Yeah, I'm the worst. Our character gets tested when we're faced with temptation to sin, when we try to meet our needs apart from God. In 2 Corinthians 13.5, Paul says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. In 1 Timothy, he says, Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. So, to avoid being too hard or too easy on ourselves, we must be sure to include God in the process. We should pray what David prays. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any wicked or offensive way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. I love that scripture. I love to pray that scripture. That's a good one. Mark that one down. If you're probably familiar with it, but that's a great scripture. If you if you ever have trouble finding words to say when you go to pray, that's a good one to remember. Pray that scripture. Search me, O oh God, know my heart. <clears throat> we end this section with "Let us make a covenant today to be artists, worship leaders, and ministry leaders of deep character and high." Integrity for the cause of Christ. All right. Servants or stars. Now, 
I want to remind you to what I said early when I first started about uh, this being great material for you to use as, as a teaching tool with your group, Servants and Stars. I think you can look at it and you can, once I go through some of this, you'll be able to see how this would be really good for our team if we just kind of went through this. Some of this is just very commonsensical kind of thing, but it, sometimes he puts it, I think, in, in, in good, in a, he says it well, and sometimes if he says it, basically instead of you, it can sometimes be received uh, better, if you know what I mean. So having a book that you're kind of studying through can sometimes be helpful. The desire to be served comes easier to us than the desire to serve. Can I get an amen? amen. We can be selfish and self-absorbed at times. Servanthood really goes against our nature. We'd all rather be served. Someone once asked a famous symphony conductor, what is the most difficult instrument in the orchestra to play? And the maestro thought about it for a moment, and he replied, second fiddle. <laughs> second fiddle is the hardest. One of the things that prevents us from experiencing God's fullest blessing on our lives is our self-sufficiency. I want to go back to the second fiddle for a little bit and just kind of land on that for a minute. I have now completed over 40 years of full-time worship and music ministry. I started in the fall of 81. I know, I don't even look 40 years old, but, <laughs> I've, uh, but I've, I've been doing this a long time. And with the exception of about six months before I came to Indianapolis, I have been full-time at a church, most of the time with a Christian school. This was my fourth place that I've been. One place only two years, the first place four years, and then eight years at uh, another place. 27 here. But <clears throat> the uh, thing that I learned pretty early on as the minister of music, as the worship leader, even though I have a team of people that I'm over I am not the CEO of the company. And I will never be unless I become the lead pastor of the church. I'm not the CEO. And so for us, I think when we realize that and understand our role, it can help us that we are, uh, that we are here to serve and that we are, are not the lead person in charge, uh, that there's someone over us. I like the, the last sentence at the bottom where it says, when artists have more confidence in their giftedness than in the Lord who gives the gifts, they will leave the stage more worried about how they looked or sounded than about whether God used them. Isn't that powerful? I love that statement. They're more concerned with technique than substance. So let's think about uh, the fact that it's actually God using us. 
True humility is not cutting yourself down and letting people walk all over you. That's called false humility. Everybody say false humility. Romans 12.3 says to not think more highly of yourself than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. So in other words, don't think more highly of yourself than you should, but that also kind of unsaid is don't think of yourself more lowly than you should either. True humility is not thinking so poorly of yourself that you lack confidence for boldness. Don't beat yourself down and call it humility. I have found in my 40 years of working with people that honestly, I would say any given time, and this isn't a scientific number, but you can see uh, the... uh, kind of the breakdown. I would say about 90% of the people that I work with think less of themselves than they should. I see them and I see potential. I think, man, if I could just push them, if I could get them to understand that they can do this. But then you have about that 10% that think more highly of themselves than they should. Uh, And you have those you have to deal with as well. But I would say the majority way more than half uh, are people that need somebody believing in them, somebody pushing them. And usually that 10%, a lot of times what you see is a facade. It's really, it's kind of to mask their uh, insecurity. I love this next part. If you or I accomplish anything artistically, it is because of, our, of a gift or talent that came from where? From God. By the grace of God, I am what I am. So the person full of pride says, look what I did. The humble person says, look what God did through me. Isn't that a much better way to think? And, and uh, I think if we can get our teams to think in that way as well. Arrogance has no place in the heart of the Christian artist. Sometimes in the process of using our talents, we artists get elevated higher than we should. The Bible says that the way we respond to praise is a mark of our character. Did you catch that? The way we respond to uh, praise is a mark of our character. Jesus reminds us that when we use our gifts for him, We have only done our duty. Keep in mind that the message is more important than the messenger. There's a a poem, another homework assignment for you. It's called The Torchbearer. Anybody ever heard, read that poem? Google it when you get home. The Torchbearer. It's very profound. The Torchbearer. Ministry is a privilege. Those of us who use our gifts in church need to remember that ministry is a privilege. I still, after 27 years of being here, every time I stand in front of the Calvary Choir or the IBC Choir to direct them, I have to pinch myself a little bit and say, Anderson, how did you get here? 
an old farm boy, the seventh son uh, of a poor farmer in Arkansas. How in the world did you get the privilege to do this? And I realized real quickly, it wasn't me. There's no way that it could have happened without God orchestrating it. Paul often was referred to ministry as a privilege and a high calling. He didn't take it for granted. Serving God is a way to honor him. Most of us feel that the very least we can do after all he's done for us is to serve him with all of our heart. David said, how can I repay the Lord for all of his goodness to me? All right, the next thing we're going to look at is, are you called by God or a volunteer? I will tell you that for the first, I don't know, until I found this book, it was within the first 10 years of being here that I found this book. I, at first I didn't really address it, but one summer I had a student who did an internship, and, and uh, I think she wanted to go somewhere, and her pastor said, no, I want you to come home. I'll, we'll do the same program. We'll pay on your tuition to come back next year. You come here and work at home. She came back to school the next fall, and she talked to me just for a minute, and I said, how'd it go this summer? Great. It was really great. And a, a month or so later, I happened to run into her pastor at the general conference. And uh, so, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking it went really great. You know, he's going to tell me, you know, what a great job it, she did and everything. And uh, I said, so how'd it go this summer? Uh, and uh, he said, do you really want to know? And I'm like, well, I think so. And uh, he said, well, to be honest... I'm still cleaning up the mess she made this summer. I don't know what y'all are teaching them here at IBC, but she came home so arrogant, and she hurt people, and she uh, just was so unkind to people. And I said, well, first of all, that's not what we're teaching here. But it caused me to really rethink what I was doing. And I really hadn't done a lot of teaching on what to do when you go back to your home church because it is an awkward thing after a student's been gone for a semester or a year and they go back home. It's a hard thing sometimes to get uh, back in. And uh, so one of the things I told them was you're dealing with volunteers. You be kind to those people. You don't have a clue what they went through to make it to that rehearsal. And so you need to be kind to those people. You know, I didn't really understand all that so much for years. I was single. I didn't get married till I was 30. And Christy kept chasing, thank God, and she finally caught me. And uh, we got married, at, and I was 30. And uh, for one thing, I had to let her grow up a little bit because she was 22 when we got married. But she really did chase me, ask her. <laughs> uh, but I'm glad. <laughs> and because uh, I was just so busy working, I didn't really think about th- th- so much. And so anyway, what was I saying? 
Uh, forgot where I was going. Yes, with volunteers. When we got married, I realized pretty quickly, you know, when we were dating, Christy would come and just sit on the organ bench in my office and sit there for hours and be content to just sit there. Well, that quickly changed, folks, <laughs> after she said, I do. I don't know. And uh, so anyway, it changed. And now for me to leave our house and go to a rehearsal, someone who's not musically gifted, not doesn't enjoy being involved in, in musical groups and that kind of thing, it isn't gifted in that area. I had to justify walking out my door and leaving this other human back home that cares that I'm not there. Okay, so it caused me to realize if I had a married couple and only one of them were in my choir or on my worship team and they were at rehearsal, what's the other one doing? You know, they had to feel like it was an important thing. Then I discovered after we had a child and she was a projectile vomiter and we were backing out of our drive one Sunday morning and all of a sudden she blesses us with a, <laughs> you know, all over her and her mother and the dash of our car and, and uh, she quickly tries to clean it up and goes back inside and I take off and leave her there. I realized that people with small children and even older children, it's not the same as when I was single. I was harder on people back then when I didn't understand I shouldn't be as hard on people. And so it was easy for me at this point in my life to teach our students and say, these are volunteers. You need to understand. When somebody comes in 10 minutes late to rehearsal, don't embarrass that person. You don't know what they went through to get there. Okay? So, <clears throat> but then I read this book, and it went to a new level. He said they're not volunteers. He said, are you called by God or are you a volunteer? It's a new level. We need to make sure that the people that are on our team understand that what they're doing isn't for Anderson. If they're just doing it for me, they're going to get tired of it. If they're just doing it for the applause of men, that's going to not last. If they're doing it for what you're paying them, <laughs> it's not going to last. Okay? It has to be a higher thing, and we have to teach that. We can't just assume they're going to know that. We have to teach them that they are called by God. And for them to miss a rehearsal or not be at a rehearsal or not do their PPT, you know what that means? Personal practice time. For them not to do their personal practice time before they come to a rehearsal, uh, then uh, that means so, so they need to realize that they're called of God. And here's some things. Volunteers see their involvement in church as community service. But people called of God see it as ministry. That's what we've got to do. We don't make them think they're a volunteer. And we do that here at church. We call people volunteers too. But we have to make sure people on our team understand that it's not just that they are volunteers. Now, there's a list of things. I'm out of time, so I'm not going to go through those. Uh, that you can read. The conclusion, people in the 
uh, congregation to can tell whether you are on the platform to serve the Lord or merely to serve ourselves. We must always be content to serve an audience of one. We don't labor in obscurity when we labor for God. He sees, he notices, and he will reward. Galatians 5.13 exhorts us to serve each other out of love. Try to serve someone this week in a personal way. And the audience of one is a poem there. It uh, ends by saying, and this is my prayer when the race is finally run. I want to hear well done from the audience of one that we've been worshiping and working for all these years. Amen. All right. Thank you so much for coming. You've been an amazing group to speak to today. I hope you picked up one or two little things that will maybe help you. And uh, God bless you.